Good morning, everybody. Merry Christmas. I am Pastor Tim, and I am very excited to be here. I'm very excited to have the opportunity to preach on this day. Um, you know, um, someone once asked, or asked me actually recently, they said, are you excited about preaching? I said, I am. I mean, I love preaching. How, what, a, what, a, what a joy it is to be able to open the Word of God and just talk to people about the Lord. It's but, but it's Christmas Sunday, so I'm just all the more excited to be able to preach on this particular day. You know, I love the song, The Most Wonderful Day of the Year. I particularly love it sung by Andy Williams. No one else can do it quite as good. If you don't know the song, that's okay. But it is the most wonderful time of the year. And you can call me nostalgic. You can call me sappy. You can call me sentimental. But I love Christmas. I love everything about it. And many of my feelings about Christmas come from when I was a child, because I grew up in a very dysfunctional, um, alcoholic father's home. And it seemed to me like, with all that was going wrong, at Christmas time it was all made right. It just seemed like at Christmas time everything was good. And I loved it. And now as a believer, it's even that much better. There are so many good things that happen at Christmas. I mean, there's the lights, there's the, the trees. I love lights. Um, there's the music, the movies, family. It's a time to think about years past. I find myself often in tears, especially watching the movies. It's, very, it's a very introspective time. It's a good time to evaluate. At least I find it that way. And it is one of the high holidays of the Christian community. You know, we have Christmas and we have Easter. These are huge, huge holidays for us as believers. And I would argue that Christmas might be the, the biggest of all just because it's such a long, you know, it's a season. It goes on for for quite a while. I was thinking, though, that it's interesting that Christmas is a sacred time for us as believers, but it is also a holiday that is shared by the secular world. It is both a sacred holiday and a secular holiday. And so each year, millions of people in the sacred world and in the secular world um, celebrate Christmas. It, it goes on all the, t I mean, all year long, millions of people on both sides. And so you have, you have two different celebrations in a sense, the sacred and the secular. And it affects a lot of things, just to give you a few. So for example, the, the titles, you know, we say Christmas, Christ Mass, a time to celebrate Christ. For the secular, it's Xmas. Now that might not be exactly right, but see that it drives us crazy because we say the, the secular world, they're taking the Christ out of Christmas. Well, they don't know Christ. In greetings, you go into, a, into a, any store and they say, happy holidays. And we go, Merry Christmas. Or we might go, Merry Christmas which I don't think is necessarily a good way to do that. In purpose, you know, for the secular world, it's commercialism, it's marketing, it's money. 
And these things overlap, by the way, in both the sacred and the secular. But for us, it should be a time to celebrate all. It should be all about celebrating the birth of Jesus who has come into the world to save us for, from our sins. In, the mu- in music, you see it in music. In the secular world, you have Santa Claus is coming to town, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Jingle Bells, have yourself a jolly Christmas. You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. Tell me you don't sing that song. In the, in the sacred world, we have, it's all about Jesus, silent night, um, angels we have heard on high, away in a manger, O little town of Bethlehem, O come, O come, Emmanuel. I love that song. And so what you have is these two completely different worldviews. And at Christmas, you have a collision. It happens, a collision of these two very different worldviews, and it happens every year, and it happens all year long for that matter. Let me illustrate something that, that happened to me that illustrates this collision of those two worldviews. Before I was a believer, um, well, and I, I played racquetball before I was a believer and after I was a believer, but I'm telling you a story about when I was playing racquetball as an unbeliever. Every evening, I would go down and have a group of guys at the club. We would play racquetball together. And then afterwards, we would sit around. We would drink beer. We would talk about things we shouldn't talk about. I would get home late. It was very hard on the marriage. But that was going on. And then I became a believer. I mean, that went on for quite a while. And then I, was, then I was a, had become a believer. And you know, when you, if, if you've experienced things like this, I began to kind of grab, I began to kind of, move away from that lifestyle. And so all those guys that I hung out with, playing racquetball with, we, we just kind of separated. It was kind of a natural thing. And then I became a believer, and it wasn't too long after I'd become a believer that I was called into ministry, and I was told that I needed to go back to school. So I went back to uh, COS, started at COS, and one of my first classes was a speech class. And it was in this big auditorium, kind of, I call it stadium seating, you know, that is that, I don't know if that's the right term, but, and there was all kinds of students in this class. And I tell you this story because the teacher in the class, I'll call him George, um, George was one of those guys I'd hung out with and played racquetball with years before. He didn't know that I had become a believer and Honestly, I didn't really think about it. I just was taking this class. And I remember my very first speech class. I mean, my very first speech that I gave. I gave a speech on chocolate. I can't tell you what the speech was about. You know, they had topics that you had to cover or themes. Literally that first speech, I mean, my legs, I was just shaking. I was so scared. Um, And as I, I found out, though, that as I began to I mean, that class was good for me because I began to find out that maybe the Lord had given me a little bit of a gift to speak. I got a little more comfortable, so on and so forth. Well, we got down to the last speech of this particular speech class, and it was the speech to convince. And we were sitting in the classroom, and and I don't know, he had us, we were working on something. Everybody was quiet, and he was walking around, George, I mean, and George walks up to me. And he puts his hand on my shoulder, and he says, so Tim, what are you going to do your speech to convince on? 
And I, I was a pretty young believer. I mean, I didn't expect what happened, but I just, I looked up at him and I said, I'm going to do my speech to convince on Jesus Christ and that he, he was a real man who, who lived on this earth, who eventually was crucified, he was buried, and he rose again on the third day, and I'm going to try to convince people to give their lives to Jesus Christ. And I am not kidding you. He looks at me, and remember, we're just having this kind of quiet conversation where everything's going on, else is going on. And he looks at me, and he goes, Tim, you cannot do that speech. And I was, I mean, I was, see, there's that collision of those two worldviews, and, and I, I, I looked at him, and he goes, you can't prove any of that stuff, and you don't, you cannot do that speech, and he walked away, and I was just like, my goodness, I, I mean, I, I was so caught off guard, so he goes up front, and he begins to, you know, continue the class. By the way, all those students looked at us. I mean, I was just mortified, and um, he goes up to, to um, continue the class, and at the end, he says, is there any questions? And I raised my hand, <laughs> and because I'd been thinking about it, and I raised my hand, and he goes, Tim, you cannot do that speech. And I said, o okay, George, I, no, I mean no disrespect. I, I get that, but I have a question. And he goes, if you do that speech, you're going to get an F. I'm not making this up. And I said, well, that leads to my question. And he goes, what's your question? I said, well, my question is, you give us these assignments with criteria to follow. And he goes, what's your point? I said, well, my, or what's your question? I said, well, my question is, isn't it my responsibility to pick what I'm going to do? And then if I fulfill the criteria, you grade accordingly. And if I don't, then you grade accordingly. And he goes, fine, do it. Do it. I can hardly wait. So I left and I went, now, obviously it was the next week and the next week everybody gave their speech before me. I, I, was, I was just like sick to my stomach. It was like everybody gave their speech. And I got up and gave my speech and uh, you know, I talked about the fact that Jesus, it's a historical, irrefutable fact that he walked on this earth, that he, that he was crucified, that he was buried and that he rose on the third day. And I said, that's an irrefutable fact. And I gave um, some evidence for that. And then I, I said, I'd like to encourage you that Jesus is the only way to be saved from your sins. And I'd like to lead you in a prayer that you can pray right now to give your life to Jesus and accept him into your life. And then I prayed the prayer. <laughs> and I said, amen. And I lifted up. And I mean, and I said, are there any questions? Because they were supposed to ask questions. I said, are there any questions? And and, I mean, you could have dropped, I mean, it was just stone-cold silent. And George says, well, do you have any questions? Nobody said anything. And it was quiet again. And then he says, he looks around the room, and he goes, you all believe this stuff, don't you? And, I mean, I'm standing there like, you know, maybe he's going to ask a question. And he, he looks at me, he smiles, and he says, Good job, Tim. Thank you. I got an A-plus on the speech. Now, I don't know what happened to George. I don't know if he or any of those people accepted the Lord that day, but that was a message that he, you, 
I and all need to hear. And we need to hear it over and over, by the way. And I'm going to explore that a little bit with you this morning. I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to John, 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. And we can read it together. 1 John 1, 1 to 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it, and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. I'm going to share with you, I'm going to pick three things out of this, these passages that it's three things that Christmas says. And it's the message that we all need to hear, that George needed to hear, that that class needed to hear. And the first thing that Christmas says is that salvation is by grace alone in Christ alone. Now, you as believers, don't just skirt over this. I know we know this, but these are things we need to hang on to. In 1 John 1.1 that we just read, it says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. Jesus is called the word of life. In 1 John 1, 2, it says, we proclaim to you the eternal life, speaking about the word of life. Jesus is called eternal life. Process that. Life never ending. And then if you were to go over, and I would encourage you to read it, John 1, 1 to 18. There it says in John 1, 1, in the beginning, and here it is again, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is called the Word, and the Word is God. Think about that. God himself came to this earth as Jesus Christ, and that is, that is made even clearer as you go on in John 1, 1. In verse 14, it says, the Word became flesh. God himself became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and the one and only Son from the Father full of grace and truth. Verse 17 says, grace and truth comes through Jesus Christ. That is an amazing message that people need to hear whether they believe it or not. And we are to proclaim it. Because Jesus is God who has come in the flesh. He is eternal and he is salvation. And salvation is found in him alone. And to trust in him is to have eternal life. That was the point of that speech. 
Romans 10, 9, you know it, that if you would confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you would be saved. Now process that. It's case closed. There's nothing else. You don't have to do anything to earn your salvation. It is not by works. No works whatsoever to be saved. Now, this is hard for us as people because we are so used to working for something. Someone goes to war and they're brave and they get a medal. Someone works hard and they get achievements. Athletics, you get a trophy. You study hard, you get a degree and some letters by your name. You make a donation and they might put a plaque up for you. You work hard and you get a bonus. We're so used to that. It's so very hard for us to process that salvation, being saved, we can't do that in our, on our own. We have to give our life. It's Jesus Christ who does that. And this is unique from all other religions. Every other religion of the world, you have to work to earn salvation. It's based on what you do. Hinduism has three paths to karma. Buddhism has eight paths to nirvana. And it's all about things that you do. Islam, salvation is, is achieved by having knowledge of self and all, and all of that. And for people that have no religion at all, catch this. They, for people that have no religion or no faith whatsoever, you know where salvation comes from? I have lived a good life. I am a good person. And they tell themselves this, but you can't be good enough before a holy God. And it always leaves people wanting. It always leaves them, I mean, when they're telling themselves they've lived a good life, that's just them reasoning. But when they really come face to face with end, the end of time and death, now they've got a problem. I can illustrate this with my mom in her last days of life. I was visiting her. It was literally weeks before she died. I was at her house. We were having a conversation. I, was, I, was, I wasn't sure if she knew the Lord. I was worried about her. Of course, I've shared the gospel with her many times, but now death is right there. It's no longer out on the horizon. It's, it's right here in her house, if you will. And so I'm having this conversation with her, and she, I think, picked up on it. And she looks at me, and she says, Timmy. <laughs> She, she called me Timmy. Um, you can't call me Timmy. <laughs> she said, Timmy, don't you think I've led a good life? And I said, well, Mom, it doesn't matter what I think. It matters what the Lord thinks. And we never got a chance to finish that conversation because someone had showed up to visit her, another family member. So that conversation ended. Then, the next week, I was over visiting her again, and again, she brings, she brings it up this time, and this time she says to me, Timmy, I've made a lot of mistakes. I've been thinking about it, and she starts to talk about that, and she had, I think, I think I was like, okay, Lord, yeah, I mean, I was so anticipating her 
giving her life to him. And then someone came over and we got interrupted again. And when she died, I don't really know that she knew the Lord or not, but she had heard the message. But see, just thinking we can earn our way into a relationship with the Lord, it'll always leave us wanting. We cannot perform for God, if you will. And the message of Jesus Christ is true. The message of salvation is true. It's an irrefutable fact. There were eyewitnesses to the fact that Jesus lived. First uh, John 1, 3 says, We proclaim to you that we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with him. It's clear that Jesus was on the earth. And when we start sharing with people, I've had this happen. They say, well, that's all in the Bible. You know, I don't believe the Bible. And I say, okay, you don't believe the Bible. At least study historically. Look into Jesus historically. It's an irrefutable fact that the, the, what the Word of God says about Jesus is irrefutable in my mind. I know people would say, well, he rose from the grave. You can't prove that. I think you can. They've been trying to refute that for 2,000 years. So I just try to get people to think about it. And so we need to proclaim the message. But you know the best way to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ? It's through how we live our lives. It's through the Holy Spirit who lives through us. This is why Acts says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It matters how we live our lives. We need to preach the message of Jesus Christ. Whether they believe it or not, it's important. Emmanuel has come. God is with us, and he lives in you, and people see Jesus through you. The second message... The second thing Christmas says is that fellowship with God is possible. Now think about that. This, this fellowship is a, is a deep, um, intimate relationship with the God who created. Look at John 1.1. I mean, sorry, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created. You can be in relationship with him. That is a message that everybody needs to hear, and we need to never forget it. This is the God who in Psalm 139 says, he fearfully and wonderfully made you. He knows you. He knows your inner thoughts before you sit, before you rise. He knows what you can do. You, have, you can be in a relationship, in fellowship with him. This is the God that Isaiah 55, 8, 9 says, your ways are not my ways. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. As far as the heaven are, is in the sky, as far as the stars are in the sky and as high as the heavens are, so high I am above you. And yet you can be in a personal relationship with him. 1 John 1.3 says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, that you can have fellowship with God. Think about that. We, we know it, but I don't know that we often process it. It's a, it's a relationship of mutual sharing. It's koinonia. It's deep. It's personal. It's intimate with God. And John is saying that believers can have this same personal relationship with God through Jesus that the apostles had with him personally. And again, nobody else offers this. 
In all the other world religions, there is God, but he is unapproachable. You can't be in a personal relationship with him. Do you know who God is to someone who doesn't know the Lord like we do, who have the Holy Spirit? He is the big man in the sky. He is a higher power. It's not personal, but you can be in relationship with him. Jesus is the incarnate God, God with us. We're going to, and as soon as I get done, we're going to sing the song, Hark the Herald Angels. And there's so much in that. We sing it so often. I don't know if we pay attention to the words, but one verse says this, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Veiled in flesh, we see God. Hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell. He dwells with us. Jesus, our Emmanuel. Do you remember in the Old Testament where Moses wanted to see God, but he couldn't? He said, you know, because he would die. It's kind of like the sun. You can't go out and look directly at the sun because it'll burn your eyes. I think God's glory is way more than that, but you catch the, the illustration. You have to have some kind of a filter. Well, God came into earth as Jesus Christ. He is our filter that we can actually see God and have a relationship with him and be in fellowship with him. Everyone needs to hear that message. Whether they accept it or not is up to them. And then finally, whoops, I don't want you to see that yet. I pushed the wrong button. Finally, Christmas says, joy is possible. Catch that. Joy is possible. If ever we needed to hear that, we need it now. There's not a lot of joy in this world. And I would even say, I'm not so sure there's a lot of joy even in believers' lives. Just looking at people. Christmas means joy. In 1 John 1, 4, the text we read, the apostle says, we write this to make your joy complete. Christmas means joy, glad tidings, great joy, as Luke says. And the angel said unto them, be not afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Because a Savior today will be born. John is saying that his joy won't be complete until you have the same joy in fellowship with God that he does. And I would say that ought to be what we think. We ought to long to help people to have the same joy with Jesus that we have. Now, when people think of joy, they think of happiness, and it certainly involves that. But happiness is only a part of it, because happiness has a tendency to be related to personal circumstances. Happiness has a, a tendency to fizzle when, you know, negative things happen. And John is saying, joy is more than that. 
This joy comes from salvation. It comes from the Holy Spirit that leads us into a personal relationship with God who created us. And the joy comes from us knowing that all that is going on, whether good or bad, is under his care. And we can have joy in that and knowing that. It's not related to good circumstances. In fact, we find that the joy that John is talking about actually manifests itself more in negative circumstances. This is why James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because it develops us. And when these negative things come, we have the joy of knowing that it's all under the Lord's care. We don't have to worry about it. Someone very recently said to me, if you do things your own way, life will be bad. But if you follow the Lord, all will be good. Do you agree with that? I said, well, yes and no. Yes, if you follow the Lord, all could be good. But that doesn't mean everything's always going to be good. Because we live in a sin-infected world. I can tell you this, Romans 8:28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his name. Salvation, Christmas says, salvation is by grace alone, by, by grace alone and Christ alone. Salva or Christmas says, you can have fellowship with God. It's possible. And Christmas says, joy is possible. But what do you do with all of that? So what? Well, I would tell you that the criticism of the world is always going to be there. It's always going to be there. You can't get away from it. In fact, 2 Timothy 3.12 says, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I like the way the message interprets this. It says, anyone who wants to live all out for Christ is in for a lot of trouble. There's no getting around it. So that's always going to be there. When Christmas comes, we ought to exhibit something different than everybody else. Where's the joy of the Lord in believers' lives? Where is it? Do they see joy in us when we're out in public? Or do we just get caught up in the secular side of things? Do they see the joy in how we live our lives? Or are we just like them? Moaning, groaning, complaining, grumbling, getting mad? Or are we different? Do they see our joy in our struggles? Or do they just see us lament and cry because everything's so bad like everybody else? Do they see our joy in our social media? You know, we worry so much as believers. Remember Xmas? We worry so much as believers that the, that the world is taking Christ out of Christmas. And I fear that we may be guilty of that as well. I do. Let me illustrate. This is my house. Actually, that's my neighbor's house. I decorate two homes. <laughs> this is my house. I like lights. 
I like the joy of Christmas, and I want to try to, I mean, people come by and look at our lights, and we get an opportunity to look at them. That's, somebody said, why do you do all that? Because I like it. I like being able to show people that we're happy. This is a third scene that's off to the right, and I show that scene to you to make an illustration. Many years ago, a lady was talking to me, and she found out that I had, that I decorated my house. She was asking me, you know, where's your house? And I said, oh, you ought to come by. And you know what she said to me? We do this so much. She says, do you have any Santas in your, in your decorations? I said, I have one. Not necessarily a Santa. I call him a Father Claus. But she said, mm, I don't want to come see it. I don't like Santas. I think it's wrong. And she went into this whole thing about, you know, what, why she was against Santa. I mean, I didn't even want to talk to her to talk anymore. But I love her, and so I did. But what about if I, what about if I have that conversation with an unbelieving person? See, so often we, we as Christians talk about what we are against, and we don't talk about what we are for. I mentioned social media because that is a relationship void. It's a venue that is void of relationship. We just post things. And often we post things that we're against. And we don't even pay attention to the fact that who knows who's watching that. And the, and the view they get of us as believers by what we post and what we like and what we repost, that kind of stuff. I wish we were as passionate about Jesus as we are about our politics. Someone once said, and I, 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 listen, I've been guilty of these things. I'm talking to you about things I've been guilty of, but I'm trying to grow in this area, and I'm hoping maybe you might think about it. Someone once said, it doesn't matter how much you talk if no one listens. And sometimes we post things, and I think people just get sick of it. They don't even, I mean, do we really think that's going to make a difference? And people may know what we're against, but do they really know what we are for? And do they even care? There comes a point, and I've seen it, it like with that lady I shared with you about. I, I see her coming, and I almost don't want to talk to her because I'm afraid she's going to get after me for something I'm doing wrong. And, but think about, but I'm a believer, and she's a believer, and I love her, and she's long gone. You wouldn't know her. But think of how unbelievers look at these things. Where's the joy of the Lord in our lives we need to think about this because Jesus, Christmas lives through us, and it happens all day long. And in a moment, we're going to sing the joy, we're going to sing um, joy to the world. Do we just sing it? Is it just a song or is it really real? God bless you. Merry Christmas. It is a wonderful time of the year, and because of Jesus Christ every day, is a precious gift from him. Let me pray for us. Thank you, Father, for this day. We are grateful, Lord. You have given us so much. Oh, Lord, forgive us. Forgive me, Lord, when I have made mountains out of molehills, when I have spent so much time trying to share what I'm against that I forget to share what I'm for. Help me to pay attention. Help us to pay attention to those that are listening. 
We pray, Lord, that you might take your word and make it alive in our lives. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. They're sitting, but we should stand. We need to stand and worship.